Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. American Glutton Podcast has a Patreon. Do you hate commercials? Well, we've got a Patreon. Do you want bonus episodes? That's on the Patreon. Do you want to hang out and chat in our Discord channel? That's part of the Patreon, too. We even have an option where you can leave me voicemails. All on the Patreon. So check it out today. Patreon.com slash American Glutton. We have a Patreon. Hi. I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Trifecta takes all the food you need, cooks it, and ships it to your house. No more grocery stores, no more cooking, no more meal prep. All you have to do is open it and eat it. That's it. Once in a while, I get a little cocky and make my own sauce, but that's very rare. They make all of it for me, and they send it to my house, and they save me so much time, effort, energy, and money, I can't begin to tell you how happy I am to have them as a sponsor. My guest today is Andres Vargas. He is a master of science, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and has certification by the International Society of Sports Nutrition. He helps serious lifters get strong and lean without breaking their body. You can go to his website, The Strength Cave, and find freebies and programs and his online coaching or find him on Instagram at The Strength Cave. Andres Vargas, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Hey, Ethan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to be here, man. Thanks for doing it. I, I, I love your, your page and it's one that I go back to often because it seems like it's got really like no nonsense 
good, solid uh, approaches to various things that I want to achieve in my life. And and there's a lot of noise out there that 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 make it make stuff almost too complicated, I think. I think uh, us as humans have a tendency to want to overcomplicate things for some reason, um, which is interesting because everybody wants the quick fix also. Right. But then but then when they when they get the simple answer that they don't like, then they want to overcomplicate it further in order to find the answer that they actually want. You know? Yeah. It's like we are we are very complicated uh, machines, I guess. And, and there's a lot of different systems in there and there's a lot of stuff happening, but like, if you get right down to like the base of what's occurring, it's like, okay, that seems pretty simple. And so this dichotomy of like, I want a one word answer that will solve me. um, Mm -hmm. And I'm going to uh, put all my faith in the world into that. But even in the in the in the absence of proof, uh, you know, if if something is like more complicated in that you have to like deconstruct your whole life to to adhere to it. But really, it's pretty simple, like just math. You know, it gets so wild. I think what a lot of it is, is is when when you think about something, when somebody says, hey, this is the solution to your to your problem. And you think about it and you do like the math in your head of how many things am I going to have to disrupt in what I already do in order to make that uh, or in order to incorporate that into my life. And a lot of the answers that are true that we have out there, like it's it's about, you know, uh, diet and exercise and being consistent with, you know, the right habits. You know, that sounds like too much work for people. I'd rather just uh, go keto and not eat any carbohydrates because then, you know, that's easy enough. I don't, I can still eat some shitty foods that, that are near and dear to my heart. Um, And then I'll get to where I want to get to. And then, uh, you know, whatever, from there, I can go back to eating the way I I normally eat. So this is a temporary fix. It's not a long-term thing that I'm going to have to sustain forever. Right. Right. I like, like, I want to talk to you about keto for a minute because I have, I have lost weight doing a ketogenic diet. Sure. As Um, I have a lot of people, myself included, but I'm wondering if you know of somebody who has lost hundreds of pounds and then kept it off through a ketogenic diet, because the problem I always had was I would get to a plateau and I would have to then reduce the amount of food I was eating, even if I was eating perfectly on keto, which to me was always like, this isn't how I was sold keto. I was sold keto in that I would never have to actually think about quantities. Right. And then I found myself thinking about quantities quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the dirty little trick, I guess, of all diets is eventually that like, you have to pay the piper, so to speak. But getting to your, your original question, um, it's not to say that there isn't somebody out there who has done keto and is still on keto now and has lost, say, 100 pounds and kept it off and, and is loving life. But I don't see that. I haven't seen that personally. Um, it's usually a temporary solution to a very permanent problem, right? Uh, whereas, um, you know, like we were saying earlier, the behavior change aspect, the, you know, actually learning about nutrition and what is in the foods that you're eating, not just the macronutrients, but the micronutrients and, and, and learning about energy balance is really 
how it has to be done to create that long-term change. And not that you have to count macros or weigh out every gram of food that you eat for life, but there is going to have to be some sort of regulation beyond just this doesn't have carbohydrates in it, or this is keto because another dirty little trick that, you know, the food industry has, um, you know, come across is, you know, they play games with how they label things as keto, right? right? Because it's like a net carbs thing, or, you know, because it has this much fiber, we can subtract that from the carb count. And now this bread is keto, <laughs> right. but you look at the label. It's got 15 it's got grams of carbs per serving or something. 15 yeah. grams of carbs per serving and or, and or so much fat in it that it's like, it's not low calorie. It's just right. keto, yeah. right? Well, that, and that was the other thing. Like there was a, there was a, you know, the, the version of the diet I did where it was like, oh, all of my troubles are due to gluten, right? It's not even like, you don't even have to really think about carbs. This was a version of some diet that a nutritionist put me on where it was like, no, you just have a gluten allergy. If we <sighs> handle that inflammation, <laughs> basically like the bill I was sold is I was just very swollen, right? I was mm. very inflamed, hundreds of pounds of inflammation. <laughs> if I handled that by getting rid of gluten, I would no longer be inflamed. And I remember eating like gluten-free pizza and actually going like, this is fucking delicious and finding gluten-free bread and stuff like that. And then you look at the caloric uh, 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 information the and it was yeah. higher, more than normal right. bread, which blew my mind. Yeah, it, it, it's so strange. And, and a lot of times I have people that I know, whether they be friends or clients or what have you that say, you know, I've been eating really great. I don't understand why I'm not losing weight. You know, I, I my doctor or my nutritionist or whoever told me to go gluten-free. So everything is gluten-free and um, you know what, or they get down to, you know, um, a vegan or whatever the, the catchphrase of the day is. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm sure that you're adhering by the rules, but you know, the energy content of the food is a separate issue from yeah. whether or not it's, it's keto or gluten-free or what have you. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, we don't get an education of that kind of stuff in school growing up, really, of what is in your food. It's just, you know, uh, you, you have the, um, the nutrition pyramid right from the uh, from the government, but it's not telling you how to, you know, be a consumer of, of, of the of the goods that you're eating in a way that also helps you to keep your your weight in check. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then, and then we couple that with, so like there's, I know there's the, the two pathways, the homeostatic pathway and the hedonistic pathway, and mm -hmm. like both will kind of drive you to wanting to eat. If you're hungry, if your body is malnourished, you're going to have this natural process of hormones that are going to stimulate you want to eat. And then this other one, which will cause you to want to eat, even in times where you are perfectly well energized yeah. and i think about like if that's not addressed if that's not addressed by the individual because there is no escaping that like you have yeah. to go live in a cabin in the woods or do that show alone you know what i mean where they're all actually starving anyways to get away from the stimulus uh, that society provides with for the hedonistic pathway which is advertising and availability and environment and all these things where there's no such thing as a 
I mean, I, I cannot think of a single place on earth or in America that you can go where there's not like cheap calories available. Yeah. That's such a big one, man. Um, and I know that you've talked about in your, in your past, you know, your, your addiction and also your, your addiction to food. And I can sympathize a lot with the addiction to food part in that, um, when I, when I first started losing weight, it was essentially a one day to the next, um, abstinence from anything quote unquote bad from what I knew to be bad at the time. You know, I started eating, instead of eating fast food, I started eating things like chewy bars and apples, which, you know, chewy bars maybe aren't the healthiest thing, quote unquote, you know, but it was better than what I was eating anyways. And so I had this dichotomy of what is good and bad, right? And I did really well as long as I basically had the rule in my head that I could not eat any of those quote unquote bad foods. Um, Not a lot of people do well with that, but it, it worked well for me. It was sort of like, you know, um, abstinence from the, the drug of junk food. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, when I found, uh, flexible dieting and counting macros, and I realized that you don't have to just eat plain chicken and broccoli in order to, uh, maintain a, a healthy body composition. You can have some treats here and there. It was great. But what I found was that little by little, my brain wanted to justify eating more and more and more and more of the quote unquote fun foods. Yeah. And our brains are wired for some reason. I mean, our brains are wired to want to consume calories and survive and put on body fat because that's just the way it is. Um, that's our genetics for most people. Now, some people aren't that way. And, and, you know, that's a whole other discussion, but I noticed that, I started to justify the behaviors like, you know, you, you, uh, and a lot of my clients go through this where they're like, I swear, you know, I'm tracking everything. And sometimes it has to be a conversation of, do you realize the little bite that you're taking here of this food or the little sample that you had at Costco or the little, you know, just, just little, little things that you justify as not a big deal. That's your brain's way of trying to get you back into eating you know, more calories right. little by little, and people don't realize that they're doing it until it becomes maybe, maybe they started out with just a couple of nibbles here and there, and it was only 50 to hundred calories, which isn't going to kill your whole day, but eventually it swelled to this four or 500 calorie extra intake that they didn't realize that they were having. I think that is the most vicious cycle, what you're talking about. And I have such uh, like a, 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 a like a physical reaction to what you're saying because I have gone onto a diet, and the perception of in- adherence and the uh, the perception of effort to stay on a diet and have no result because of a bite here or a bite there of mm-hmm. stuff that you're not even really tracking or not even considering. This is not gonna throw off, you know, but like, I'm trying to be in a very, when I'm dieting, a very mild deficit so that Mm -hmm. a couple of bites here and there tasting the food my kids are eating and Mm. still perceiving that I'm putting effort into this diet and coming away with a net loss because I haven't lost any weight. It's actually a mind fuck. I I'm completely with you. And I don't like to say that anything is totally right for anyone, but I know for me, 
flexible dieting, I have to have some barriers where like if I'm, if I'm on maintenance, it becomes a lot looser, but I do Mm -hmm. notice that when I go on a trip, um, usually I'm like holding on for dear life. And then I have the meal that I've been looking forward to. And then the wheels fall off. And then it's like, Mm. I just want to get this trip over so I can get back home and put my life back together again. But you know, maintenance is a little bit easier, but when I am dieting, flexible dieting is not the right fit for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I've heard from a lot of people. You're not alone there. Um, I think that too much freedom can be a bad thing for some people. And, um, you know, as much as the pendulum swings back and forth between eating clean or, you know, flexible dieting, or, I mean, it really got, it really went to a crazy extreme when, IIFYM came out, you know, if it fits your macros. And basically people tried to fill their day with foods that would resemble a six-year-old's diet and still make gains and, you know, preserve their body composition. And I think it's tried to settle back more in the middle of, hey, no, we need some responsibility. Most of your foods need to be, you know, quote unquote, whole foods or clean foods or whatever. Um, But you're right. Uh, It can be much more difficult when you're dieting because the the room for error is a lot smaller than people would think. Um, You know, a little handful of cashews, you know, just a little handful of cashews and you've blown your whole deficit for the day on accident. Right. And and people don't realize that that's the case. Yeah, dude, when I was doing uh, keto, I would snack on macadamia nuts and not think twice about, you know, calories are meaningless because I'm dealing with, you know, insulin resistance and and sure. whatever other nonsense that I believed at the time. As long as there's no carbohydrates, I will lose weight. And you've you've really gone through the whole gamut of different diets, if I'm not wrong, right? I have. I mean, like if you go back to my childhood, uh, I've done. Th- there were a lot in the '80s. Uh, there were many. Uh, iterations of like severely calorically restrictive diets. And I did all of them. I did like the cabbage soup diet and the Beverly Hills diet. And I was on those. None of those um, were diets that I, you know, as an adult decided to do, but I I did as an adult decide to do one or two super restrictive diets. Um, But yeah, I've done blood type and you know, cut lectins, every version of clean eating you can imagine. Um, I guess in fairness, I was never a vegan, but Mm -hmm. I did do, uh, um, I have done some macrobiotic diets, which definitely were more plant-based than, than, uh, animal-based. But I think there was some like ghee was allowed, maybe some eggs Mm. were allowed, and maybe I was just cheating at doing that, but yeah, I've done every version. I, you know, this is all before I do not, I do not recall, like, I feel like carnivore became kind of um, something. It became a thing uh, after I'd gone, like keto isn't even doing, isn't even working for me. And then carnivore happened. So I missed that entirely. I don't think people were doing that in the nineties. No, it's so, I mean, I'm sure maybe there was a few, but it's been more recent, right. In the past, you know, several years that that's become super popular Um, with diets. What's funny is that um, I think that the fact that there are so many diets out there that, that people have had success with to some degree 
tells you the variability in us as humans to, uh, to, to be able to adapt and stick to certain ways of eating. Um, ultimately, you know, something like, we'll just take carnivore. A lot of people have been saying, oh, I feel so much better on carnivore. It's such an easy diet for me. And I mean, we hear that because it's touted in social media. And, and if you get into the, if the algorithm catches that you're kind of interested in carnivore, it just shows you positive things about oh carnivore. My God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you don't see the negative. You don't see the people who were like, hey, I tried it and I felt like complete crap and it didn't work for me. Right. You don't see those accounts because they're not sensationalized the same way that you know, if, if Joe Rogan says, hey, I'm carnivore and it's working great for me. And I don't know how many million people see that and they try it. And some say some have success. Most don't. You only hear about the positive. Yeah. And it's that way for every diet. And so what I'm getting at is us as humans are so variable that it really is just about finding the strategy that makes you feel the most comfortable most of the time. Right. For some people that's veganism because it satiates them. It makes them feel healthy. Um, maybe it does improve their health uh, objectively as well. Um, and some people, they can't deal with that because they need more, more protein in their life or they're not getting the nutrients they need from the, from the vegetables and, and grains alone. Um, and then, so the, you know, you, to the other side of the spectrum, you have somebody who's just eats meat and they do amazing. And then their friend who tries it feels like complete crap. Yeah. And so it, 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 unfortunately, you know, when somebody asks me like what type of diet they should try, you know, I always feel like I'm the, the, the proverbial scientist that just is like, man, it depends. I, I, <laughs> I can't answer that for you with complete, you know, authority because you're going to have to try and you're going to have to experiment and you're going to have to tailor things to you. You think that's a good strategy? Actually, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like, let's say you got, you know, I think when you're talking about massive weight loss, right? I think that very small changes to a person's diet. If, if we're talking about somebody who's got to lose 200 or more pounds, very small changes could have profound effects. Absolutely. But do you think it would be worthwhile for somebody to take a couple of weeks and try out each of these kind of eating schemes and not even base, like not even base it on um, weight loss, just the metrics of how they felt. Like, how do you feel eating this stuff? Like, mm. do you think that's a worthwhile experiment? It's probably, it definitely is a worthwhile because feelings are tied to the foods we eat. It, they're, they're basically, you can't separate them. Right. Um, a lot of times people are, are stuck eating the way they eat because of the comfort that it gives them, or, you know, they just have emotional ties to the foods that they eat. So when you tell somebody, Hey, you know, uh, you're not going to be able to eat bread or pasta. And they, re they don't just remember the taste and how uh, delicious it is, but also the memories of, I don't know, eating family dinner with, you know, their grandparents who are no longer around and I can't let go of that. Yeah. So you have, you have a good point there with like kind of trying things out and seeing how you feel. Um, I think that again, it, it boils down to the type of person that you're dealing with. Some people have a sort of a trauma reaction to having to overhaul their, their diet completely and say, go from their standard American diet to, 
you know, diet X, Y, and Z. Because now there's all these rules they have to learn. They have to throw out a bunch of food in their pantry. It's a lot of work. Um, some people don't do well with that kind of complete overhaul up front. And they're better off with the small changes that you mentioned of, hey, why don't we replace your, your soda with um, diet soda or some sort of low calorie drink? And, or why don't we you know, replace you know, some high calorie food with this lower calorie food that mimics it or, or basically can fill that spot. Right. Like an Um, apple instead of a bag of chips. Absolutely. Yeah. And then there's the other personality type that is the jump into the deep end, you know, without even looking type of person and small changes like that for them feel like a waste of time. They don't feel like they're doing enough. And so they are the type of person that would need to, I would need to, you would want to start them with the full shebang. Let's change everything. Right. Um, And so again, it's like, uh, it depends thing of what kind of person are you? What kind of personality are you? Are you a slow and steady or are you uh, let's hit the ground running? Yeah. Yeah. I think about this a lot and, and I, I completely agree with you. You know, it's very tough to, um, to, to pull something off that fuck man for me it was so hard for so many years that i worked at it and i and i will say like if if i try to be as generalized as possible i think that the the most successful thing for me was i i understood that i had lost weight many times and that mm. going into it might uh, create a lot of uh, emotional feelings. And and I wasn't scared of being hungry. I'm hungry in my normal life. If I'm eating, if I'm eating maintenance calories, I'm often hungry. I get hungry and then I eat. There's nothing about hunger that scares me. So it's not that going into a diet, I'm scared of the hunger. I guess there's like, whatever makes me, me, it's my body and my thoughts and and then my routine, the things that are under my control. Well, you pull out a big part of that and you go like, we're taking out this section of what is under your control. And suddenly I don't feel like as me as I was the day before. And that's an emotional thing, right? That So there's there's all kinds of aspects in that way. But when I started thinking about, fuck the diet, I know how to lose weight. I've lost weight a bunch of times. How do I how do I stay a certain weight? That was a bigger kind of revelation for me because I'd never thought that way. I always thought that weight loss would equal me being that size. And it really has nothing to do with it. Like the two things are very, very different. They are very different. Um, and I think, it, it, again, it goes back to um, how a diet can be a temporary fix but you know, there's a long-term solution because it's it's really a permanent problem. Um, whatever the case may, whatever, whatever the re- there are certainly people out there who can eat really shitty foods and high-calorie foods and you know, uh, quote-unquote junk foods, um, and they're so active that it doesn't cause the same reaction in their body they don't put on weight they don't get fat because they're so active like say somebody who lives in new york city that doesn't have a car and they have to either walk or bike down to work several miles every day um, and they're you know if they need something from the store they walk there uh, and maybe they also work out on top of that that person has a lot more room for 
for those kinds of foods in their life than somebody who has to sit at a desk all day, doesn't move very much, drives their car to work and back. When they get home, maybe they don't go to the gym at all. They just, you know, they get on the couch, watch TV, or or they, you know, they support their family, they're there with their kids. Those are two different, you know, things. And so, um, unfortunately, like you said, there's so much availability of high calorie, high palatability foods for everybody, not just the person who can afford to eat those foods, but also the person who can't afford to eat many of those foods, but is, but are drawn to those foods because of the way they taste and the way they're designed to make you feel. Yeah. It seems like we have, you know, it's, it's also like the amount of people that were starving even in America, like just, you know, 50 to 100 years ago, you know, if you go to the Great Depression, I think like tens of millions of people starved to death during that Mm -hmm. period of time where there was real scarcity in this country. Mm -hmm. And so certainly obesity is preferable to starvation because you live a lot longer with obesity. It takes a lot longer to kill you. but it wouldn't be my preference. It's not my preference to live in a, in an obese body. And so then it's just, it's just the landscape to confront within myself and also my environment of how I'm going to deal with it. Right. Because if I just consider that weight loss alone fixes my desire to eat, it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not the case. Right. Yeah. It's very tricky. And in some ways, I mean, when you're, when you were, um, when you were heavy and you were obese, you had that constant desire to eat then as well. Right. For sure. I mean, listen, I don't think it was all, it certainly wasn't all hungry, you know, because I, on top of hunger, which I, which I experienced, I think there's never been a time in my life where hunger didn't play a part of my normal everyday life on almost any given day. I'll experience some hunger, but I can handle it. So it's not scary, right? I can eat something, but I know that, um, way back then I enjoyed eating to the point of like real intoxication. Like there, there was a feeling that would occur when I was so full that, that I would be like, I don't know. It was almost like a dopamine effect and, and Some euphoria hundred yeah. percent. And I liked that, you know, um, even when I was doing drugs, which you'll, you'll, you know, oftentimes uh, there will be the stereotype of like skinny junkies. But even when I was doing drugs, I still went after that extra euphoria from overeating food because it was like the, the icing on the cake for me. You know what I mean? Like I still got something more out of, Uh, my physiology by overeating on top of all the drugs I was taking. It's crazy. None of it makes total sense, but that was the lot I lived in. And, and the idea that I could, you know, and it's just gotten easier too, dude. I I, I look around now and I think about Uber eats and, and Postmates and all that didn't exist when I was eating the Hmm. way I was back then. And now like anything is available almost at any given time. It's wild. It's crazy. Um, I think I, I've noticed that there is definitely different levels of the desire to eat in people and the desire to stuff oneself to that point of almost 
you know, either, either, you know, one person might feel really sick from eating that much. And another person feels amazing because it's releasing all those feel good chemicals in their brain. Um, and I think people who are prone to uh, obesity, someone like yourself, someone like myself, who used to be obese as well, um, there's always that part in my brain somewhere in there that wants to keep eating. Yeah. Because um, I don't know if you deal with this, but I'll finish eating a meal. And this happens most most of the time with meals. Um, I'll finish eating a meal. And there's a period of probably like 20 minutes after the meal where my brain is saying, hey, what's next? Eat some more. You know, <laughs> what's what's in the cabinet? What's in the fridge? What, what, what else can we have? And it's almost like that there's that ghost of my past who would have kept eating until physically I could not eat anymore that keeps wanting to come up every single day. And it doesn't quite go away. There's some meals where that doesn't happen, but most of the time it does. And I noticed that that's not necessarily the case with everybody, especially right. my friends who have always been naturally thin or athletic looking. They don't have that. And as a matter of fact, you know, I'll, I'll, I, and I, and I came to this realization once of, I always thought like, how is it that these people can go out to eat and have, you know, hamburgers and French fries and all these indulgent foods that if I eat it, I know I'm going to gain weight, but they eat it all the time when I'm with them and they don't gain any weight. They, they maintain a good physique. And then I started to realize like, Oh, wait a minute. I don't see them. I only see them eat when I'm with them. I don't see them the other times of their day or even their week. They might not even be eating full meals throughout the day. Yeah. Like that could have that could have been their only meal of the day because they're the type of person who just doesn't think about food. You know what I mean? That idea that you're talking about was such a profound a breakthrough for me too. the I this whole thing of like I have a slow metabolism, right? <laughs> slow metabolism yeah. when and I and I and I understand that people can have stuff off with their thyroid, right? But that is a, I wanted that so bad. Every time I did blood work, I was hoping now they're going to finally see my thyroid and I'm going to get a pill and I'm going to be able to eat all this food and lose weight. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outside of something like that, 
this the shattering of the idea of a slow metabolism for me was huge because it took all those instances where my friends would eat food that I was withholding myself from and just go like, I don't know their entire existence because if they're eating that somewhere else, they're not eating something that I am eating. And, and if I'm putting more fuel in my body than it needs, it's going to get bigger. And if, their bodies are not getting bigger, then they're simply not doing that. And my body doesn't necessarily need the exact same amount of fuel as any other body. It's just what my body means. It's not slow or fast. It's just what it needs. This was mind blowing to me. You know, actually it came to my, I came to that realization because of my wife. So my wife, when I met her and, and she's still to some degree this way, she used to tell me like, man, I, I wish I didn't have to eat. It's such a chore. Like I don't, I just don't, ah, oh, man, I, I hate that I get hungry sometimes. I just, but, and she just wouldn't think about eating throughout the day. She would, you know, she'd have a little something for breakfast just to like quell whatever feeling she was having. And then literally might go the whole day and get to dinner and be like, oh, I didn't eat. Right. Whoops. Yeah. And as for, whereas for me, it was constantly like, okay, I'm going to have breakfast at this time. And then I'm going to have to wait three hours and then I get to have lunch. Yeah. And then maybe I'll have that snack an hour and a half later. And it was, my brain was constantly wanting to know when am I going to eat again? And it's, it was just like a, a, a mind fuck to know that that's, there's people who just don't have that. Yeah. It's so wild that, that, yeah, like for me now, I think the scariest thing is like going to an airport. And if I, Mm. it's very rare that it happens, but if I don't prepare all the food for my flight, (laughs) or if I have experienced a delay or something and there's extra time and I'm sitting there and I'm like, now I have to go figure out food in the airport. It's Mm. so scary because it's like, you know, I partially don't trust myself, but I also partially am now at the whim of really fast food that's got extra calories in it that's an interesting one you know it's something that i actually had to train myself i guess so to speak um to not not have to eat like i'll I'll go if i go to the airport usually my wife does bring snacks or something because i used to get really cranky if i didn't have something to eat like i got i was a whole different person like not a nice person to be around And that's changed over the years to where I might fast the whole, almost the whole day. And there are times where I get hungry, but like, it doesn't affect my mood or my, like my, my energy status much anymore, but it took a lot of work to do that. And there was a lot of uncomfortable times because of my past as well. Um, So I, I, it's interesting to hear that, that you're still dealing with that a bit as far as you know, needing to make sure you have your meals prepared. Um, what happens? Uh, curious. I, mean, I, I think I've asked you a few questions, not to not to be the interviewer. Oh, no, all good. But, um, you know what what happens to you? Like, if you forget to pack your food and you don't have meals planned for the day, is it just this overwhelming desire to have to go buy something to eat? Usually, I will just. Go, I, I just try nowadays to go. Like, it's okay. It's not going to be a perfect day. And then I, and then I go and get like sous vide egg white bites at Starbucks. They actually have a few options. They have, um, 
they have a finite uh, spinach feta wrap thing that's pretty low in fat they have they even have a sandwich with egg white and turkey bacon that's pretty low in fat and the sous vide uh the sous vide egg white bites have a little bit higher fat than i think they ought to for egg whites but they they're still relatively good so like starbucks is a pretty safe place for me to go and then you know i'll go and I've been stuck in Atlanta recently and Dallas recently on flights that got delayed and, and just, I go and find like a sandwich shop and get, you know, a bunch of Turkey and maybe eat half the bread that the sandwich comes with or something like Mm. that. Um, So I can figure it out, but there, there is like the fear, like for me, Chicago is the worst airport because there isn't a lot of that. And then the food that they have, I mean, maybe I was there on a holiday and I just have it stuck in my head that it's a terrible place for me to eat. But I remember being stuck in Chicago airport this year and going like, this is horrible. They've got sugar covered nuts and pizza. And like, neither of those is something I really want to eat. And like, if I can, even if I'm going like, it's not going to be a great day of dieting, I don't want to eat either of those things. Yeah, exactly. Now that and and traveling is tough for some and, and you being an, an actor, I mean, I'm sure you have to travel quite a bit, and so that's that's definitely a tough one for a lot of people. Um, having to navigate eating out socially with with their friends and family, um, even having being invited to family dinners or you know social dinners at somebody's house because there's that pressure to eat, you know, what is being served to you. Um, it's hard, and and also the pressure that we put ourselves to sort of like eat everything that we are served or eat everything that um, like, like you said, you might, you might buy something that has some bread on it or something, but you only eat half of the bread or um, like, it's hard to like almost remind yourself that that's an option. Like, Oh, I can just eat the Turkey off of this sandwich and the vegetables and maybe a little bit of the bread. I don't have to eat all of it. Yeah, there's so I mean, I have a lot of guilt throwing food away. I I think, you know, I I get into and 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 then I think it's just my mind working against me, right? Because I do believe that there are still aspects of my mind that are I'm doing battle with all the time because I'll have the thought like uh I don't I don't call it a cheat meal, but there will be a regular off meal for me at a Brazilian steakhouse where it's just meat and the the amount that I can eat there and I don't touch the salad bar, you know, there's a salad bar and they've mm-hmm. got stuff like farofa and other stuff that's carby and rice. I don't touch that. I just go meat the amount I can eat. And then the amount that I dream about for like three or four days after that meal of going back, I just go like for me, carnivore, I know I'm going to overeat. I just know <laughs> I can eat 5000 calories a day and meat. No problem. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, 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 so, so I do battle with my mind in, in that sense. And, and as long as I'm able to, uh, hold on to like, what's my goal right now. Right. And, and if I'm traveling or if I'm out eating with my family and I'm on maintenance, I'm going to let it go a little bit. Right. And, and have a meal with them because for my kids, the majority of their life, I've been on diets of one kind or another. You know what I mean? Mm. So I want to give them some sense of normalcy as often as possible. That's something that I I don't have any kids yet, but it's something that I've sort of thought ahead to of, 
I don't want to um, pass on or project the um, you know, the insecurities about my body or the, the thoughts that I've had around food onto my children when I do have them. And, you know, they obviously they're going to look up to their dad um, and see the behaviors that their that their dad is exhibiting and take some of that on just through mimicking what the older people in their life are doing. And so that's an interesting one that I'm going to have to navigate as well, as far as, you know, you know, dad is doing this, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's right for you. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and I think the bigger one comes from like my, just the body image stuff and how I probably do things, little uh, subconscious things in my daily life that I don't realize that I do that may then pass on some of that sort of body shaming mentality to to an impressionable child that I don't want to have happen. How does, how do you find that exhibits itself with you? You know, it's always been something um, I, I still have loose skin from having been bigger. Um, it's on, you know, my lower part of my stomach and, and certain other areas. And so I find myself constantly, you know, checking to make sure that the signs of that are not showing outwardly to the rest of the world. So whether that be making sure that like my waistband isn't, you know, awkwardly folded into my loose skin, or um, if I'm taking a picture, I'm making sure that, you know, I, I know the angle that I can, that can be at to where you don't see it. Um, and of course, if I take a picture, picture of myself, the first thing I look for is the loose skin or, you know, all the flaws that, that I perceive. Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, you know, even man, I remember, and this hasn't happened for a while, thankfully, but I remember even say like five years ago, um, going shopping for clothes was sort of a really anxiety filled thing for me because it was like the, the truth is going to come out as to whether I've been fooling myself of, <laughs> as to how I look, because if you put on the size 30 whatever pants and they don't fit anymore, then you know you've gained weight. You know, right. you can't you can't hide from that. Um, so there's a lot of little things that are just like ghosts from the past of yeah, you know what I mean? I I I defeated that that one aspect, but it was but I think I did it in a BS way. So I would always be questioning that because I think like in America the sizes like from one brand to the next are so different, like extra yeah. large. And one thing could be a medium and another. And like, yep. there's so much schizophrenia with sizing that I would mm -hmm. always go like, okay, I know this brand and this yep. brand, if I, if it's not fitting right, then I've gained weight. Like I, I, I do yeah. that too, but like generally buying clothes has been so traumatizing simply mm. because nothing there's, there's no standard. It's all over the place. For me, it stems from, I remember vividly when I was, say, like 16, 15, 16, 17 years old, like every year you go out shopping for new clothes for the school year, right? Um, and every single time I had to do that, there was this sobering realization that I had gotten fatter. Right. And I remember being like in, you know, in the, uh, the, uh, the changing room where you're trying on clothes and just like, trying to struggle and force myself to be the size I was last year. 
you know, and like literally like sweat dripping off me trying to close the pants kind of thing to try yeah. to like force myself so that I didn't have to come to grips with the fact that I was heavier once again. And so some of that, like I was saying earlier, has continued to be a thing. Like I don't like going shopping for clothes even to this day that much. And I think part of it has to do with that experience when I was younger, Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like you said, it is true. Uh, different manufacturers, they, you know, I'll be a size 32 in one, in one, um, from one store. And then I'll go down the road and try on 32 and I'm like swimming in it. And then right. I'll go to down to the other one and I'm size 32 and it's like, I can't even button it. So I don't know what they're doing at these. No, manufacturing and places, for me, but. it depends on, it depends on how, if I'm, if I'm in an up mood, right. Then I could take that and go like, look at me oh, yeah. I'm killing it. But if I'm in a down mood, it's all, it's all through the lens of like, I've gotten fatter. Bro. It's so fucked the way our minds work like that. Bro, forget about it. If you wake up and it's shopping day and you happen to step on the scale and it's like a pound heavier for some reason, <laughs> your day's ruined. You might as well not go shopping. You yeah. know what I mean? Is that what put you in your field? Is it is it that you wanted to lose weight or did you lose weight first and then go into this? So I lost weight first. Um, I, I was uh, 18 years old and I was, um, you know, part of it was Again, I didn't like taking pictures. I didn't like, you know, I like uh, if you can imagine, if I don't like trying on clothes, I didn't like taking pictures because once again, um, it's just objective data as to how you really look. Um, and I didn't want to accept it. And so one day I saw pictures of myself from, I believe it was like my homecoming dance in my, my senior year. And, um, you know, I didn't have a date. Um, no, no girls were paying any attention to me. And, um, I saw the pictures as well. And I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta do something about it. Like, I, I'm not happy. Um, I, I hate the way I look and, um, you know, being a young man, I wanted attention from the fairer sex, um, but it wasn't happening. So I started losing weight. Um, all I, all I knew that I could do is, Hey, if I start going to the gym and just like doing cardio and I stop eating junk food, like I mentioned earlier, and just eat like chewy bars and raisin bran and, uh, apples and, you know, just things that I thought were healthy, then let's see what happens. And, um, I did, I lost a lot of weight. I lost like 120 pounds over the course of like six to eight months, which was super fast. But, uh, for me, it was also like, I needed those quick wins in order to keep myself motivated. Um, and then from there, I had a family friend who was um, into bodybuilding and professional wrestling. He was trying to be a professional wrestler and stuff like that. And he was like, Hey, I'll show you. Cause I got really skinny. Uh, so I've been through like all the extremes. I was once super big and then I got really skinny with no muscle. And then I didn't like that either. And, and then he was like, Oh, Hey, I'll help you put on some muscle. So um, we started going to the gym and lifting weights. And then that really started after having lost the weight, I was already really interested in fitness and nutrition uh, and learning more. And then with then learning how to put on muscle and strength that got me even more excited about it. And then it was just, the ball was rolling downhill from there. Yeah. And, and do you, I, I think, and it's anecdotal for me, so I don't know. I, and, and I also think like this could be so subjective. So I wouldn't ever say like, here's why it's important to maintain muscle mass as you lose weight. 
but I do think for me, it's been very important. It's been one of the things I've been hyper-focused on. Do you have, especially like with your clients, mm-hmm. uh, ways of trying to sell that to them? Yeah, absolutely. I, the first thing I tell them is I had success and I'm, I'm happy that I did. But if I could go back and change one thing, I would have resistance trained in order to lose to, while I was losing weight as opposed to the way I did it. Because again, I went from, and, and I probably had some muscle because I had kind of like lifted weights and we had like a strength training class in, um, in high school. Uh, but through doing just cardio, I know I lost any semblance of muscle that I had built. Yeah. Um, and especially the fact that I was probably not eating a lot of protein because a lot of the foods I was eating was like just carb carbohydrate rich foods, right. um, low fat carbohydrate rich foods. <clears throat> and so the first thing I tell them is number one, building muscle is a lot. Um, it's a lot harder once you are sort of like in that depleted state than it is if you just hold on to what you have now and also build while you're losing weight. And I'll tell them you're in a unique position um, and you may not ever get this back where you can build muscle and lose fat at the same time, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and let me tell you, I wish that I, I always tell them, I wish that I could have that back, you know? Right. No, uh, it's so, that magic thing that we think about oh my now gosh. where you're like, wait a second, I could be having gains and losing fat at the same time. This is crazy. Short of short of the Mexican supplements, we'll call them, right? right? That just doesn't happen ever again. And so, uh, yeah, I, and I and you know, I tell them that also it's not. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna BS them and say, hey, if you have 20 pounds more muscle, you're gonna burn a thousand more calories a day because the science just shows that that's not the case. But I will say that being more muscular predisposes you to burning more calories, even if it's just a little bit at rest. But what it also predisposes you to is just being more active because things are sort of easier in your daily life when you have more strength and more muscle than if you don't. Yeah. And so, you know, I try to sell that to them as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, in fairness, this is another experience I I had. I expected very much that I would get down. I would lose a lot of weight and just innately be more active and i still have to kind of remind myself like you've been sitting for a while why don't you get up "Ah, i don't really feel like it no you you got to get up like it it still takes some effort on my part i think i spent so long um really practicing a conservation of energy for whatever reason just because i was so heavy that anything really was hard to do moving around was hard to do um and so now i have to push myself in the other direction it is much easier with muscle and less body fat but it's still it's like nothing became innate i kept wanting it to become innate i kept wanting like you know buddha sat under the tree and attained enlightenment i thought that was what was going to happen for me with weight loss or building muscle or any of this stuff it it just never happened it still takes effort yeah i don't know when the 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 switch flipped for me but at a certain point maybe it's just like me seeking dopamine and, and I get a lot of dopamine from exercise and being active, but at some point, and I was, I was right there with you, man. I was the laziest kid. 
Um, at a certain, when I was a little kid, I loved playing basketball and being active, riding my bike. And then at a certain point, and I think what it was is I got to a point where I was so overweight that those things became difficult. And I became embarrassed to be the fat kid that was, you know, trying to play basketball or be the fat kid who was on his bike and like struggling to get up the hill while all of his friends were racing past him, you know? And so then I found video games. And I could be good at video games without physically having to do anything. Yeah. So, man, I became the laziest person. And um, but I think that um, for somewhere along the way, like lifting weights, even going for a walk is fun for me because I'll listen to a podcast or listen to music or something like that. And or I'll walk my dog and I just like seeing the look on his face when he's out having a great time. Yeah. Um, And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the fact that um, it doesn't, I I don't have the same experience as you, I guess, where I have to force myself out of my chair or force myself out to go do things. As a matter of fact, I have to more force myself to like relax and and watch TV um, because I'll I'll run myself into the ground almost with, with exercise sometimes. Yeah. I'm envious of that. I, I, I find that the gym going to getting to the gym every day um, has become easier and easier. And it's such a part of feeling better. Like the day is so much better that it's less effort to do that. But if I'm, you know, for whatever reason, writing and I've got, I've got five hours in a day to write or something like that, I, I could sit I could finish out my five hours and turn on YouTube or something like that and just zone out for another five hours. No problem. I really have to um, make myself almost every hour or two get up and move around a bit, do some squats just to just to know like, hey, we're not going to sit here for five hours. That's too long to sit in one place. Did you, uh, is that like an alarm that goes off in your head or did you have to start creating that almost like setting a reminder on your phone to, to do that? No, it's just in my head, but it is something I'm, it is something I'm telling myself because of having numerous days where I look and I go like, wait, I went to the gym, but then I only got 500 steps total outside of the gym. That's maybe not enough. You know what I mean? You know, what's interesting. I had a conversation recently with these two guys and um, both of them were immigrants. And so like in the country that they were from, um, I, you know, I made this comment like, you know, food is a lot more readily available here than it is probably where you're from. And because they were talking about how they had gained some weight since coming here. And um, they were like, well, you know, actually not really like there's, there was always food available and um, it's not like it was low calorie food either. Like, you know, they're, they didn't really worry about that kind of stuff where they're from. Um, and so then I, I kind of like listened to what their day is like. And I was like, well, you know, really what I, what it probably is, is that back home, you were way more active. Like you just said, you didn't have a car. So you walked or you took the bus or whatever. Um, and, and so like you were able to maintain a body composition because of your activity. Right. And, and then like the light went off in their head of like, oh, I guess you're right. Like I don't really move at all throughout the day. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's a big one for people. I think people underestimate the 
the value in even just going for walks right. and just moving your body throughout the day and how many calories that can burn over the course of whatever number of hours you're awake, say 16 hours that you're awake, as opposed to just sitting yeah. and doing nothing for the whole day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I take it to the point where I try even to be more expressive as I talk mm. simply because I know that ups it just a little bit. Right. Just and a so touch. All of this stuff is, is just a, a game of like you energy balance, right? Like I, I know my reset, my default is I will sit very still and I can do that for long periods of time. Wow. Okay. I got to work against that. So how am I going to do yeah. that? I'm going to talk with my hands a little bit more. I'm going to make myself go on walks. And a lot of that um, required more effort when I started implementing it, but it still does require some, it's none of it is on it. None of it is automatic for mm -hmm. me. I, I have to put a little bit of thought into it, but it's become a lot easier. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, the momentum builds and yeah. then it becomes it becomes way harder to say no to that little voice in your head than it than it does. To, it's much easier to just say yes and, and to do what you need to do. Yeah. Whereas in the beginning, it's the opposite. There's so much resistance to changing that behavior. Um, and, and so like it's just it's easy to to hit snooze on the alarm and not go to the gym or in the beginning. And then later on, it's like. There's probably that moment where the alarm goes off and you're like, oh man, I gotta go to the gym. Right. And there's a little part of you that's like, is there something that I can, is there an excuse that I can lean on today as to why I don't want, I can't go to the gym? Like, man, I, I hope I'm too sore to like go to the gym today or something like that. Right. But when you do that like little check in your head, it probably lasts uh, maybe even a split second and you're like, no, nope, I'm going to the gym. You get up and you go, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. it does no, get yeah, easier. like. The, the the I'm laughing because that is the 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 only thing I've ever had to like go like oh I I actually can't do this today is legs occasionally I'll blast Oof. my legs so much that like 
when my second day of legs comes around, I'm like, even though maybe like I was quad emphasis and now I'm going to do hamstring, my, my legs are fried. And it's like, no, I actually really shouldn't do this today, but there's other stuff I can do. I'm here. I can do some elliptical. I can do some light upper body stuff. And, and so I'm still getting in the gym, but I think that's hilarious because I do do that. (laughs) I run through the Rolodex of excuses all the time. I'm curious because I know that I've listened to some of the episodes where you're saying that your main thing right now is you want to build and maintain as much muscle as, as you possibly can. And so like, what is right now, what is like a a typical week for you as far as training goes? Yeah. You know, I did do one quote unquote massing phase and I really wasn't, it was not, I wasn't into it. It was like too um, overeating for me was like, I felt it just didn't feel good. And I didn't like gaining weight and I, and, and I didn't gain that much, but it all, was not great. And then I just go like at the end of the day, how much muscle have I put on because of this? I I, I bet it was ounces. You know what I mean? And so like doing that repeatedly for, for my own sanity, I think would be very dangerous. So now long-term, very slowly, I just like to up the balance of lean tissue to fat tissue. So if I'm maintaining for a long time, like the majority of the year now is spent maintaining. And then I'll do periodic cuts and try to do them very, very slowly to just lean out a little bit. But the other thing is, man, I get down to as lean as I can get. And I'm so miserable that it's like, well, this is, you know, I can't even convince myself anymore that that's how I want to exist forever because it's so hard to maintain or even to get to that state of leanness. So the majority of my year is really spent in maintenance. And then I'll like dig in for a cut, a very slow cut. Yeah. I think that uh, people get really caught up in where they want to be the ideal body shape that they want to achieve. And they low, they overlook the things that surround it, such as how are you going to feel at that body composition? What is your quality of life as far as being able to go out to eat or enjoy meals with friends or what have you, what's that going to look like? And, and I don't, um, they don't realize that there is a threshold everybody has um, where to be leaner than, than that, uh, to, to get under that threshold requires exponentially more work in order to maintain it. Yeah. Above that threshold, it's comfortable. You can, you can have some mess ups on your diet and it's no big deal. You can go out to eat and enjoy some things. Um, you have more freedom. Um, and, and time and time again, people will come to me and say, man, I want to, I want to have abs, I want to have abs or I want to have veins of my abs. That's what I want to achieve. And I'll say, okay, um, I can help you do that, but I can't guarantee you that you're going to like yourself or like the way you feel or like your life when you have those abs. Right. Um, so I'm going to tell you that it's likely that you're not going to like your life. Um, and I, and, and, and I'll still help you do it. But I'll also need to be there with you afterwards when we decide what you want to do after you've achieved that. Because chances are you're going to need help going from, okay, now I have these abs. 
Now, how do I transition to a sustainable lifestyle? Right. And what does that look like? And how, and like, also like we have to think about if the abs aren't visible at all times in that sustainable lifestyle, are we going to be okay with that? You know what I mean? Like right now I have to have good lighting to see my abs and like that sucks in my opinion, but at the same time, being leaner sucks in another way. Yeah, man. It's such a tough thing that we wrap our self-worth into our appearance so much, you and I, and probably a lot of people Yeah. that, um, and I go through it too. If, if I don't feel, if I don't look as lean as I want to look in the mirror, I think I'm a worse person for it on a, on some level. Right. And, and, you know, my wife's really good at always talking me off that ledge. And, and I sometimes have to put my coach hat on and be like, literally nobody else cares if you're that lean, except for you. Yeah. They don't look at you and say, oh my God, wow, that, that, you know, Andres is a terrible guy because his abs aren't popping anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, they're like, I love spending time with him. He's a great guy. He's my friend. He's, you know, we, you know, that's what they care about. Yeah. It's only the guy in here that really uh, takes points away from who we are because of the way that we look. And I think that's the, the biggest key that, that, that for me, the guy in here, the guy in our head, that's been the hardest fight. All my, like my body generally does what I tell it to do. You know what I mean? Like, unless my diet is really severe and I'm going to be super low energy for a long period of time, being in a 500 calorie a day deficit does not produce in the short term, the kind of exhaustion and hunger that an extreme diet produces pretty quickly. Right. It's all kind mm -hmm. of mental for me at this mm -hmm. point, like I'll do diets now. And my wife is just like, how come you're not in a bad mood? And I'm like, cause it's not that strict. Like it's not that severe. I'm not in a hole in some kind of energy hole where I'm miserable and lightheaded when I stand up and it's mm -hmm. going to take a couple of months and then I'll be in a bad mood for a little bit. And then I'll go on to maintenance. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not that hard anymore. There's a lot of nocebo when it comes to dieting and yeah. we, we sort of trick ourselves into thinking that it's harder than it really is. Um, the, the, Real quick story, back in 2020, um, I went on this 10 week road trip to see all these national parks. And me and my wife were camping. In fact, we were camping in the back of our truck most of the time. And um, during that process, I lost a good amount of weight and I wasn't tracking any food because you're out in the wilderness, you're not gonna bring a food scale with you and track everything and all that kind of stuff. So I just kind of, we, we, we had the food that we had and it turned out I must've been in a calorie deficit because I came back like 10 pounds lighter. Wow. But the whole time, not once did I think to myself, boy, you know, I feel really lethargic right now. I must be in a calorie deficit, you know? Right. I didn't notice that I was losing weight yeah. because my mind was occupied with other things. Yeah. I didn't have time to think about whether or not I was in a caloric deficit. But when we start diets, we, we know we're in a caloric deficit and we start hyper-focusing on what's wrong? Am I feeling lethargic? Am I, am I hungrier than normal and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And, and, and this is, again, goes to this thing I've been thinking about, like, who am I? And if, if part of what I am is the stuff that I'm in control of every day, and part of that is the food that I eat and you take a, a big portion of that away, then I become less. And I think what you're talking about is exactly right in that, 
finding stuff to put our attention on that's external from us. Right. And, and it can be a fine line. Like I, as a, as a recovering drug addict know that if I was trying to give up booze and decided to become a bartender, this would not be the right external thing to put my attention on. Right. I've also, it would be not right. Like I, there were diets that I did that were so severe and I just became obsessed with watching cooking shows because I needed to have some connection to food. And if I watched people eat or I watched people prepare food or I could prepare food for other people, this was like a sublimation of my desire to eat the food. And I think even that is not super healthy. And so like now it really is what externally can I put my attention on? If it's taking my dog on a walk or playing with my kids or building sandcastles, or doing a project at home outside that I've wanted to do forever. Like, I think that's super helpful to anybody who's going to otherwise sit there and think about what they've given up. That's so huge. And it's something that I tell my clients all the time when they say, how can I overcome these feelings of, you know, all I do is think about food when I'm, when I'm sitting there and I say, what are the things do you have in your life that, what are your hobbies? What are, what are the things uh, besides working out? Um, what else do you do? And a lot of times they don't have much. And so when you don't have anything to quote unquote, distract you from your hunger, then the process is so much harder. Yeah. And so I'll recommend to them, you know, uh, find, find a genre of books that you'd like to read that kind of are fun for you and start reading. It's not, or, or find a hobby you can do outside or all the things that you just mentioned. And I said, say to them, when you first start doing those things, it's not going to feel as fun as eating or as fun as, you know, you're, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a gap in your dopamine hit from that, from that thing. But eventually that, that hobby or those, those hobbies that you do will start to be more fun and they will start to be something that you look forward to. And then little by little, you're not thinking about food or without you're in a caloric deficit, you're thinking about, man, I can't wait to finish that, that great book that I, that I, uh, you know, been reading. Um, you know, I can't wait to go outside and, and garden or do whatever it is that do whatever hobby you come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. Andres, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Ethan. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah, man, this was a great time. And now for the Q&A. Here's a question for you from MJ. Hi, MJ. Hey, Ethan. Longtime fan, second time emailer with a smiley face. (laughs) He says, again, love the show so much. It gets me pumped for the week every Monday morning. So I'm a 49 year old cis woman. I've been working out like a maniac for over six years, bodybuilding, flexibility, and brutally fun cardio. I love, by the way, that (laughs) she said brutally fun. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. Um, I love heavy weights, yoga, hiking, running and rucking in the crunchy hills of the SoCal high desert where we live, running, dancing on the rebounder and bicycling, bicycling. I'm down 72 pounds of fat. Wow. Not, yeah, not including all the muscle gains I've built. And I have 28 or a little more to lose. I'm not looking to be skinny. I'm shooting to be more buff, lean, strong, and athletic. I eat similarly to you, high protein, moderate carbs, and low fat. 
and I absolutely love it. I get plenty to eat at a good deficit, but without so much restriction, and I feel great. Listening to Ted Neiman and Corey Lefkowitz, Lefkowitz, Lefkowitz. I want to say that right. Sorry if I didn't. Uh, listening to them discuss this way of eating, she says, has been an absolute game changer. One of my biggest banes is plateaus and I've started playing with maintenance phases and with some degree of success, but I just started and I'm trying to find what works best for me. I would love to hear about your experience and that of others, but particularly how long your maintenance phases last your interval, your intervals, presumably a cut in between maintenance phases. Do you switch and cycle your macros around, et cetera? So uh, that's MJ's question basically on maintenance and so forth. Okay, good. Yeah, this is a great question, MJ. Thank you. Um, and thanks for writing in two questions. That's so cool. Um, my maintenance phases now are much longer than my diet phases. And so, uh, you know, here, here's the thing, like prior to beginning dieting, we were not um, innately eating in a way that kept our weight in the weight that kept it, kept our weight to be what we wanted it to be. And so on top of the fact that a lot, um, of the processes in your body settle down and are able to go back into losing weight after a maintenance phase, I also find that it's really helpful in going like, Oh, this is really how I'm going to have to eat for the rest of my life if I don't want to gain a bunch of weight. Um, so that's one thing to think about. And I think it's, it's kind of nice to do a lot of practicing of that prior to getting to the end of the diet, right? You get to the, typically a diet, you know, one of these kind of like fad diets says, you know, everybody eats 1200 calories a day. Uh, and you just do this until you've lost all the weight you're going to lose. And then you're cured of being fat and you're going to eat normal and you won't gain weight. And we all know that that's a bunch of bullshit. And so breaking up, doing a slower version of a diet where we confront the fact that it's going to take a hell of a lot longer to lose however much weight we need to lose if we're in a very mild caloric deficit versus an extreme caloric deficit. Um, breaking that up with maintenance phases. The maintenance phase is how you live for the rest of your life. It's basically going like, oh, I have to train myself that this is a day's worth of food. If I eat more than this, I'm going to gain weight. So like, what's this like living like this? Um, the other thing about uh, weight loss is like, especially when we're dealing with a, a mild caloric deficit is Wherever we started, like, let's say in the beginning, your, you know, your, your maintenance calories for a day were 3000 because you had a body. I think she said she lost over 70 pounds, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At 70 pounds, your body to maintain that weight needs a lot more pounds, a lot more energy, a lot more calories than it does once you've lost the 70 pounds. So you do always have to take that into consideration that as we lose weight, the amount of fuel our body needs is going down too. That's kind of the, the trick of these like extremely low calorie diets is like 
they put you into a place of famine, you know, true famine, uh, as uh, the I believe the WHO categorizes famine as access to 1400 or fewer calories a day for a prolonged period of time. So a lot of these diets have us go well under that. And then, yeah, like if you stay, if you adhere to that, you're going to get to a weight or die. You're going to get to your goal weight or if you keep doing it forever, you die because that's starvation. Um, so when we're in a very slight deficit, our body's going to catch up and we're going to get to the point where it's like, oh, no, no, now we're just eating and maintenance. What we thought was a diet in the beginning is now just maintenance. Now we don't need any more calories. Um, I'm not saying that's the only reason for a plateau, but I think it's a common one. Uh, and so what I like about maintenance is it takes that, it levels you out. You're now eating for maintenance. You're really tracking. You're making sure you're not gaining weight and you're going like, oh, okay. I'm all the processes of weight loss in my body are chilling out. My hormones are chilling out. I'm kind of like locking in this size. I'm getting my body super accustomed to it because now the hormones are coming back to a level in this size with less fuel. Uh, and then when you go to diet again, the weight comes off easy because you're dropping your calories again from that point. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why I like them. It, it is hard, you know, as a lifelong fat person to go like, uh, I'm now going to practice not losing weight. And it's just as hard as any other diet, right? Because you're, yeah. it's still restrictive, right? I think of the word diet in two ways. One is just what we eat. That's a definition of diet. And the other one is restriction on what we eat. And so a diet break or maintenance is still a quote unquote diet. It's still restrictive because for me, if left to my own devices, if I'm doing it totally mindlessly, I'm going to gain weight. And so that's the point. It's also a practice of, uh, I've just done something really hard. I know this is the amount of food I need to maintain this weight to neither gain nor lose weight. Now I'm going to practice that for a long time and get really comfortable and my body's going to get comfortable and I'm going to get used to it and then I'm going to lose more weight. And so that's what I really love about maintenance. Awesome. I think that is a great answer and I hope that it is helpful. You could write back and let us know. And if anyone else out there has a question they would like Ethan to answer, please email us at americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.